True Spirituality, Part 5, The Supernatural Universe. I think it's accurate to say that most around us consider themselves at least open to a form of spirituality in some sense, even if they do not subscribe to a particular religious tradition or set of well-defined belief propositions. In fact, sociologists confirm that humanity remains overwhelmingly spiritual or even outright religious in that the vast majority around the world do profess belief in things of a transcendent nature, such as a god or gods, spirit beings, the human soul, divine consciousness, and other aspects such as enlightenment, karma, life after death, or life and death cycles. Even here in the West, where skepticism can be rather pervasive in some areas of society, most share a fundamental intuition that there is something about the universe that is more than just the stuff, the raw ingredients, acted on by fundamental forces, that the very existence of an ordered universe consisting of elementary particles behaving in accordance with regularities we refer to as laws points toward the existence of a cause that cannot plausibly be reduced to blind, unguided, purposeless, random chance. To most, the notion rings hollow that non-life somehow organized itself into not only living things, but conscious, self-aware persons who wonder about the how and why of it all seeking answers to questions concerning meaning and long for things such as love, justice, liberty, and are moved by beauty, the virtues, and artistic expression. Not just that it feels off, but reducing all about the human experience to nothing more than matter, physics, and fundamental forces, all generating survival of the fittest brain states within our skulls, to lack true explanatory power for who and what we are and experience as human beings. Most consider all of this to be an echo or symptom of the existence of a higher reality, something transcendent about the universe that isn't just over and above, but also perhaps even within a person in the form of a soul. What is the best explanation for this sense, this intuition we have? The most cherished and honored virtues, including altruism, compassion, self-sacrifice, and nobility, often go against the grain of self-advancement, self-preservation, or even the overall betterment of just one's particular group or tribe, don't they? So trying to account for these on the basis of just some gene-driven survival adaptation comes up lacking as an overall explanatory framework. Another way to put it is that trying to ground our experiences of things such as love, the sense of self, and concepts related to our conscience regarding ethics and morality in a purely naturalistic reality with nothing or no one behind it all is so extravagantly reductionistic. It reduces us to nothing more than machines existing under an illusion of being a self that can choose to love and help those around us expecting nothing in return. You are not choosing to love, create art, or engage in abstract theoretical undertakings in mathematics, physics, or philosophy. 
It's all chalked up to biomachines having developed incredibly complex neurological systems acting in accordance with survival adaptations wired into them. Again, not only does this ring hollow, but it comes up lacking when subjected to scrutiny. And almost everyone senses this. Christianity views our beautiful, expanding, and finely tuned universe and the elegant, integrated, and informational complexity of living organisms as bearing witness to the reality of a transcendent intelligence a personal God. All of this said, even if someone considers what I've outlined to be reasonable, they may live as if the higher reality, the transcendent realm, the spiritual dimension, or the existence of the God of the Bible is something just to be believed in. It doesn't necessarily intersect with and certainly doesn't dominate their day-to-day, moment-to-moment existence. And this can apply to those who would identify as Christians who believe that the Bible contains absolute truth. If we are not careful, even though we say we are Bible-believing Christians who embrace the supernatural, the naturalism of our generation can close in on us. It may infiltrate our thinking without us recognizing it, kind of like a fog creeping in through a window opened only half an inch. When this happens... Christians can begin to lose the reality of their Christian lives. So while we say we believe one thing, we allow the spirit of the naturalism of the age to stealthily creep into our thinking and start to take hold. All too often the reality is lost because the ceiling that is the naturalistic type of thinking is down too low, right above our heads. This is what it is to lose sight of what the Bible presents as a proper view of the universe. The Bible's view, as we have discussed in earlier parts of this series, is that ultimate reality consists of both the seen and the unseen, the natural and supernatural. There are those two strands. This means that we must understand with full intellectual engagement that the universe is not what many in our generation attempt to say it is, seeing only the naturalistic universe, a closed system of the uniformity of natural-slash-material causes with nothing or no one from outside this realm working within it or us. And if we say we believe that the God of the Bible exists and that we are in relationship with him by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, then that is going to have an effect on how we live in all dimensions of what it is to be us, what we think, what we say, how we behave and order our lives. This includes loving God enough to say thank you, even for the difficult things. And doing that calls for the understanding that this has no meaning whatsoever unless we live in a personal universe in which there is a personal God who objectively exists. Recall the account from the Gospel of Luke chapter 9 that we referenced in earlier episodes, the Mount of Transfiguration. Here we are brought face to face with a supernatural universe. We find Moses and Elijah speaking to Christ as he is glorified. And we observed that this supernatural universe is not a far-off universe. It was at a particular spot on this planet 
at a particular time of the day, there is a perfect continuity with existence as we know it as in normal life. Then jumping to Christ's redemptive death on the cross, we can say the same thing. The crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth on that Roman cross would have no true meaning whatsoever outside the relationship of a supernatural world. It's just yet another instance of a religious figure or political zealot crossing the line and getting himself executed for it. The only reason the words redemptive death have any meaning is that there is a personal God who exists and more than that has a character. He is not morally neutral. When a man sins against this character, which is the law of the universe, he is guilty and God will judge that man on the basis of true moral guilt. What this highlights is that the true Christian life, as we are examining it, is not to be separated from the Bible's emphasis on the supernatural. This makes sense of the Bible's image of Christians face-to-face with this true transcendent reality as so closely linked to Christ like a bride is to her bridegroom so that he can bring forth good fruit through them, through their lives in the world. Yet it appears that even those who have been taught about salvation and many other aspects of the Christian life often find the idea of Christ, the bridegroom, bringing forth fruit through Christians as his bride, a rather exotic or abstract idea. But this cannot be surprising if it is not isolated from the teaching of the Bible concerning the supernaturalness of the universe. This is the Bible's message. And when we see it like this and are in this framework, rather than the naturalistic one that can come in so easily upon us, the teachings we're talking about aren't to be dismissed as strange. The Bible insists that we live in a supernatural universe, but if we remove the objective reality of the supernatural universe in any area, the great realities of being linked to Jesus in a special way resulting in very real things immediately falls to the floor. And when that happens, Christianity can be reduced to little more than a psychological and or sociological aid. As soon as we remove the supernaturalness of the universe, all we have left is something like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, in which religion is to be simply a sociological tool for the future. In this concept of romantic evolutionary humanism, religion has a place, not because there is any truth in it, but because in the strange evolutionary formation, man as he is now simply needs it. It is what some might refer to as noble fiction that can be good for a society in stressing the virtues and even offering certain coping mechanisms for life's distresses. After all, the data show that prayer and meditation are sound wellness practices, even if there really isn't a God with whom you are in conversation or who is at work in, on, and through your life. Even Carl Gustav Jung, the Swiss psychiatrist who founded analytical psychology while practicing in the middle decades of the 20th century, considered thinking and acting as if religion were true to be beneficial 
despite the fact that it might not be true. But once again, if you remove the supernatural from the universe in thinking and in action, and there is but the elementary particles and fundamental forces, then the questions surrounding anthropology, the what and who we are in relation to the universe and other living things, has nothing to say to questions of the reality of communication with God. We are merely shut up to the social sciences and all that we say about religion in general and Christianity specifically falls to the ground except as it relates to a mere psychological slash sociological mechanism. Yes, some might even say that perhaps there's some type of religious gene in our makeup, but that comes up lacking on a number of fronts, which we will not address here. All the reality of Christianity rests upon the existence of a personal God and a supernatural view of the total universe he created, presides over, and works within. Let's take this even deeper. One is not a Bible-believing Christian in the fullest sense simply by believing the right theological concepts or doctrines, but by living in a manner that harmonizes with what Jesus and the apostles taught about this supernatural world. The only reason we call it supernatural is that usually we cannot see this aspect of the universe. Again, the Bible's view, we must always stress this, is that reality has two halves, like two halves of an orange. You do not have the whole orange unless you have both parts. One part is normally seen, and the other is normally unseen. Take the following illustration. Think of two chairs set out in front of you. The people who sit in these chairs look at the universe in two different ways. And we are all sitting in one or the other of these chairs throughout our lives. The first person sits in his or her chair and faces the total reality of the universe, the seen part and the normally unseen part, and consistently sees truth against this backdrop. The Christian sits in that chair. The unbeliever sits in the other chair intellectually. This person sees only the natural part of the universe and interprets truth against that backdrop. These two positions cannot both be true. One is true, one is false. If indeed there is only the natural portion of the universe with a uniformity of natural causes in a closed system, then to sit in the other chair, the chair of the Christian, is to delude oneself. If, however, there are the two halves of reality, then to sit in the naturalist's chair is to be extremely naive and to misunderstand the universe completely. From the Christian viewpoint, no man has ever been so naive nor so ignorant of the universe as modern man. However, to be a true Bible-believing Christian, we must understand that it is not enough simply to acknowledge that the universe has these two halves. The Christian life means living in the two halves of reality, the supernatural and the natural parts. One of the major challenges for the modern Christian is that it's possible for him to be so infiltrated by modern thinking that he lives most of his life as though the supernatural were not there. In fact, I think we all do this to some extent at times. The supernatural 
does not touch the Christian only when he accepts Jesus as Savior and Lord, which is when he experiences the new birth, and then at his death, leaving the believer on his own in a naturalistic world the whole time in between. That's not the Bible's view. The Bible teaches that a Christian is living in a supernatural reality now, not only in theory, but in practice. This is where we address Christianity as more than merely a good philosophy, though it is that. I believe it is the best philosophy that has ever existed because it answers the questions any worldview must engage, those related to origins, meaning, morality, and destiny, and does so in a compelling manner. It is logically consistent, which means there's no contradictory state of affairs. It is empirically adequate, which means it relates to the world we live in, and it is experientially relevant in that it applies to life as we live it. Christianity is consistent to itself, deals with the challenges of life and existence, and gives answers to them. But it's not just a good philosophy. The Bible does not just speak in abstractions or complex concepts as if it is nothing more than a dialectic, which is an attempt to arrive at the truth only on the basis of a set of logical arguments. It does not tell about a religious idea far away. It tells about humanity as we are, each person as an individual existing in the universe as it is, which is a personal, supernatural reality. And it tells us how to live in that universe as it is right now. Trying to live some sort of Christian life while sitting in the chair of unbelief is just playing a game. If I do that, I am not in contact with the full reality all around me. The Bible's descriptions of reality's overall structure carries with it the emphasis that the supernatural is not far away, but near at hand, all around, and even within us. The supernatural is not just yesterday and tomorrow. It is today. It is this moment. Two passages from the Old Testament portion of the Bible illustrate this well. In the book of Genesis, chapter 32, we read of Jacob, while traveling with the caravan of his family, his livestock, and his employees, slash field hands, having the following encounter. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. The Hebrew name Mahanaim means two hosts or two camps. And one camp is as real as the other. One is not a shadow in fiction, a product of Jacob's mind or some hallucination. They were two equal camps. In the first camp, his own camp, family, animals, helpers, and the second, angels, who were just as valid and real and just as near at hand. But perhaps the classic passage on this subject is found in 2 Kings chapter 6 where the prophet Elisha is surrounded by an enemy and the young man who is with him is terrified. Elisha informs the fellow that the truth is that there are more on their side than those who are about to attack them, which must have sounded like a little bit of a psychological trick rather than reality. Then Elisha prays that the young man's eyes would be opened and it became a reality to him. 
From our standpoint, the significant thing to note here is that the prayer was not that something would come. It was already there. It was just that the young man's eyes had to be opened to see that reality. For those who believe that the universe, that all of existence, includes the supernatural, this instance and others like it, though spectacular, can be instructive, comforting, and perhaps even inspiring all at the same time. But the naturalist is determined to push it away, to get rid of it. He is determined to argue that it is not there. And if the Christian is not careful, this mindset can, little by little, take hold and the reality of the supernatural starts slipping away. But the Christian is called to live in the reality of the supernatural. Holding to the right beliefs in terms of theology and doctrine is important, but it is not an end in itself. There is to be an experiential reality, moment by moment. And the glory of the experiential is that we can do it with all the intellectual doors and windows wide open. We aren't just after some spectacular religious or ecstatic experience requiring a dark room, certain types of music, or the influence of hallucinogenics. We can know the reality of the supernatural here and now as we are to be in a relationship with the whole Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, through trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross as Savior and Lord. The doors are open now, the intellectual doors, and also the doors to reality. This is the Christian life, true spirituality. And in light of the Bible's teaching in regard to the supernatural nature of the universe, we are to approach life in all dimensions in faith, a wholehearted trust in Jesus Christ as the crucified and risen Lord who now dwells within us through the agency of the Holy Spirit.